0: Welcome to the podcast of Real Life Ministries, Arizona. Let's get ready for the message from this week's Sunday gathering. And I'm really honored to be with you this morning. Um, I was asked to talk about anxiety, and that's something I know well. Uh, We all do. Uh, About five years ago, um, I developed what my psychologist friend called a generalized anxiety disorder and it snuck up on me Um, i wouldn't say that my life was characterized by anxiety up until that point but uh, i had gone through several years of stressful uh, ministry and i woke up one day and i was utterly convinced that um, i was in danger that i was under attack and, um, and that God wasn't helping me and uh, of course I had the theology to counter that but something got in the way between my thinking and uh, my nervous system and over the last five years uh, God has demonstrated His grace in my life um, I have emerged from um, the acute stages of that, but to be honest, I had questions for God because uh, for me that long season, because it was a few years of heavy therapy and work, um, I was left asking, why Jesus? Did you let that happen? You know, why was I not able to uh, do the work of ministry? Why, this this seemed like just this massive distraction. And honestly, I almost felt selfish about it. You know, why are you thinking so much about your own safety and well-being when ministry is about loving other people? But my mind was doing tricks on me, and I was in this loop of afflictive thoughts. Uh, and for the last several years before that time um, I had made a hard choice where I was a pastor and I was a professor I taught at a local seminary and uh, because um, there were so many demands in both contexts I had to make a decision to do one or the other and so I left the pastorate and I went full-time into the classroom and worked with students like Troy Um, and and I stepped out of the local church as a pastor for about a decade and um, Around the time that I was struggling with my own anxiety and working on it. I Felt that the Lord was inviting me to be a pastor again And so I'm a pastor at a local church called Redemption Alhambra and um, Stepping back into ministry after 10 years I noticed something profound had shifted in our culture. Um, the moment I stepped back into ministry, I was overwhelmed by parishioners telling me how much anxiety had a grip in their life. Before the pandemic, roughly 40% of adults in the United States struggle with anxiety at a chronic level. And um, I just was in a teaching by, um, well, I was just in a teaching at at ACU where I teach, and um, I was told that the up and coming student population, young people in their late teens and 20s, that that percentage of anxiety disorders has jumped now to 50%, -hmm. 50% of people are locked in the grip of anxiety. And when I, uh, when I discovered that, all of a sudden something clicked in me. And I said, okay, Jesus, now I know why. <laughs> you allowed me to do the work in grace of going back and listening to Jesus more carefully this time So that now I hopefully, by your grace, can be a shepherd to others, right? Um, So often God allows suffering in our life to humble us, to make us dependent, to deepen our faith and trust in him. But also to give us a well of wisdom that we can use um, as we try to love each other on this journey of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, um. I've spent some time studying anxiety as a phenomenon, and I want to talk a little bit this morning about the cause, um, and then, of course, the cure uh, that Jesus offers us in that. So anxiety is something, and by the way, I should say that anxiety is an entirely natural, emotional response uh, to living in a dark world and in a dangerous world. Um, God designed our limbic system to make us aware of both immediate threats uh, but also potential threats. Um, the limbic system is in the lower part of your brain, in the brainstem area, the farthest away from the cerebral cortex, which is up here in the front, where we do our higher processing and worshiping and reflection and. Philosophical thought and, and deep down in um, uh, the limbic system, which is the amygdala and the thalamus, God designed our bodies uh, for survival. And so um, when uh, we sense the possibility of danger, um, it arouses our sympathetic nervous system and it dumps these chemicals of cortisol. And adrenaline into our bodies where we take on this sort of heightened awareness right sometimes it's called the fight or flight or freeze uh, response to stimuli out there in the world and the way that it normally functions is uh, to give you like an example you're hiking and uh, you're walking along this narrow path and you notice something and your first thought is that it's a snake, right, coming into the path. And um, our ancestors had a natural fear of snakes. We had, most of us have that. And so before you even process, before you even think about what that might be, your body says snake, right? And all of a sudden you, 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 you jump back and you are um, aware and you're ready to run (laughs) or maybe you're frozen (laughs) Um, but then about a millisecond later your eye focuses and you notice ah, it's a snake I mean it's a stick right it's just a stick Um, and the way that our bodies are designed is at that point when we know that it's just a stick the parasympathetic part of our nervous system begins to kick in, and that's called the rest and digest part of our nervous system, where we begin to settle down, our blood pressure goes down, um, and we relax. Because the world around us is once again safe. or At least it seems so. The problem, though, is when we develop chronic anxiety is that um, we are never able to get that clear focus on that stick. (laughs) It it, it stays ambiguous enough that our bodies continue in this state of hypervigilance. And, by the way, I see this in people. I see, this, I see this in the people in my church. This, there's, a, there's a rigidity. <laughs> we hold these things in our body. Um, what happens is um, our body uh, retains lactic acid. It gets in our muscles, and then all of a, stud- all of a sudden we start having these chronic, this chronic pain um, manifests in fibromyalgia manifests in myofascial pain syndrome Um, I developed TMJ a real bad case of TMJ I went to the dentist that specialized in TMJ and he um, I paid a fortune for nothing (laughs) and I didn't realize that the reason why I ate in my temporal mandibular joint was because at night because of my anxiety I was clenching but not even during the night just throughout the day There was always a part of my body that was hypervigilant. You know know what I mean. And 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 I just never could fully relax. And eventually my body started to break down. Um, And so I think think the reason, I'm not going to say the reason, but a reason why anxiety has become so prevalent in our culture is because young people, I don't think, were given the childhood that I was given. Um, I'm a Gen Xer, and some have said we're like the last generation that got to like play with the neighbor kids and run around. And and we had scary stuff, right? Like I remember like it was better to be dead than red, right? <laughs> like the communists were the enemies and all the Red Dawn movies and everything, and... And so you know, I remember like having to like hide under my desk if there was an atomic bomb threat or something, and as if that was going to save us, um, <laughs> right? I mean, there was a there was a certain amount of stress, um, and baby boomers had their stressors. But you know, I teach at ACU. Andrew was in one of my classes, and it was it was it was interesting because I had taught at ACU in 2001 and I was teaching when 9-11 happened. So I was teaching these students and, and, and literally the jets were crashing into the World Trade Center and, and we got out of class early and we all crowded around the TVs and we were watching this happen in real time. And, um, and, I t- and that was actually my first year teaching as a professor. Um, and then I went back to ACU just last year it was interesting because I was now teaching the children of the students <laughs> that I was teaching 20-some years ago. It's it a weird deal, right? And and so I got to see um, the fruit of 9-11 and the hyper-vigilance of our culture. And on top of that now, you know, um, climate change. And I could go on and on and on. but. Basically what happened is, I think even at a mass generational level, I think our worldview shifted into a place where it became much more difficult for us to rest because the world became so much more dangerous. Does that make sense? It became so much more dangerous. And, and, and of course the answer is faith. <laughs> but. It's it's a kind of faith that acknowledges the reality that things have changed. And it requires a kind of reframing. um, Because everything shifted in our culture. And we can still settle down. Because Jesus lived in a very dangerous world. But we have to be reflective about it. And there's a certain... um, I'm going to use the word skill faith practice there was a certain practice that Jesus said was absolutely essential for his disciples but I'll be honest it's not something that's taught very often in the local church okay and so I want to talk a little bit about the cure now when I, when I say the cure that is not a denial of anxiety as a natural emotional response to life that's Jesus himself had emotional responses, heavy emotional responses to suffering and pain around him. Jesus himself became disturbed, right? So when I talk about the cure, I'm not, I'm not saying that you you kill your emotional life or estrange yourself from it. Stuff it down, because that's what I did for 10 years, and that's the big reason why I fell apart five years ago. Right? That's that's not what I'm saying. And when I say the cure, I'm also not saying that because of this amazing sermon I'm sharing with you, you're going to wake up tomorrow free of all anxiety. <laughs> I'm not making any statement like that. But, but 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 what you will be given today is a tool. And it's a tool that I've been using in my life for a few years now. And by God's grace, it's been a tool that has brought great healing and has brought a deepened rest and trust um, in the Lord. And so um, that's what I want to share with you. And let's go to the the Gospel of Matthew. I know you guys are in the Sermon on the Mount series, and this is where Jesus gives the cure. It's in Matthew chapter 6. And I'll read from verses 25 through 34. Matthew 6:25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, in the, body, in the body, more than clothing. That's the great paradox of humanity, right? Is unlike the animals and unlike the plants around us, we have this higher awareness where we can even ask the question of what is life about? What is the real purpose behind this existence? And it's in the ability to ask those kinds of questions that so much of our anxiety lies. Sigmund Freud made that observation where he felt that underneath so much of our anxiety was this nihilism of asking those sorts of questions. What is the meaning of life, but then life giving no answer to it and living with that chronic absence of meaning at the core person. Jesus is saying, No, your life is more than your clothing. It is more than your food. And of course, he's going to refer to that mystery as the kingdom of God. That's where you find your meaning and your place. But he acknowledges the problem at this state, and he says, Alright, so this is what I'm going to have you do. Okay? In verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. Now I'm reading from the ESV, and um, I'm not entirely happy with that translation. Um, The verb that Jesus uses here is an intensified form of seeing. As Troy knows, um, there's a verb in Greek called blepo, which means to look at something, right? Like, I noticed those donut holes, and I was very tempted to eat them. Uh, gluten-free, and low-calorie, too, right? Um, but uh, I, I, I made the hard decision not to. Um, but Jesus doesn't use the word blepo, this general term that would be translated as seen, but he uses the, the verb blepo. And blepo is an invitation to study, to continually meditate on. After I read that verse in Greek, I started to become a true bird watcher. <laughs> My wife gave me bird—what uh, do they call Like bird binoculars, right? And he, she gave me a, a guide to phoenix birds, right? Um, I took Jesus very literally, but what he's saying is, is I I want you to become a close student of my father's creation. So much of anxiety is a disconnect from reality. I want you to get grounded, I want you to get anchored by not just noticing the birds, right? And you know, birds are the first things we forget about, right? When I do this anchoring exercise, I'm on a walk. Um, I like to walk in nature. And the moment I become present to, the, moment, to the, the situation, all of a sudden I start to hear the birds. But up until that point, my brain had been just pushing them out, right? So he's saying, I want you to really study the birds. Now, I want you to look at these birds, keep your attention on them. But I'm also going to reframe your theology. I want you to look at them in a very particular way. Look at them in nature, right? And these birds were interesting because they were not participating in the marketplace. That created all the anxiety. What was the anxiety? Where are we going to get our next meal? Where are we going to get our clothing? Right? Well, that's the market. And all these humans are just plugged into the market, the business world, right? And they are getting locked into that and becoming anxious. The birds, they opted out. (laughs) They're off-grid. Are you following me? They're off grid. They're doing nothing. And he says, I want you to look at them as they eat a worm, as they eat a little nut. Notice how they do that without fear. And when you look at that bird receiving nutrients and eating I want you to see that bird as being enveloped by my loving father who is feeding them. My father is no different than a mother breastfeeding her child. You see it? Right? God's invisible, so we don't see him like we see things in his creation, but God is imminent. He holds all things together. Right? And you say, well, yeah, but what about all the tragedy? Jesus does not deny tragedy, right? Um, one of the things you know, when I was meditating on this verse, when I, I I I try to jog when it's cool enough, or I'm walking and and I see bird dead bird carcasses everywhere. You know, it's like it's 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 just you know they like Jesus himself said they're worth just a few pennies, and the world doesn't even really notice when birds die, but I do and. And Jesus says, but you know what? When one bird falls to the ground, it impacts my father. He notices. And he doesn't just notice, but it moves him in a way. Right? Because death wasn't a part of his original purposes. But, you know, when I, when I look at those birds, dead birds on the street, um, right? It, it, it wants me to challenge what Jesus is saying here. And saying, well, yeah, I mean, Jesus, you sound a little bit like a hippie or out of touch with reality, but what what about all the tragedies that we see on the daily news and so on? And, and the thing is, is, Jesus said this knowing he was going to be crucified. Jesus said this in a world that was filled with tragedy. Jesus said this when he spent his whole day working with victims of a fallen world, of healing people and casting out demons and raising the dead. He wasn't disconnected from reality. But what he was saying was so much of your life as a disciple comes down to what draws your attention. It has so much to what draws your focus. Right? He's not saying, be naive. He's saying, I want you to be childlike when it comes to evil. darkness know that it's there but don't dwell in it are you following what I'm saying don't don't dwell in that and and one of the things is is that after the fall the human brain has been designed to be drawn to the negative have you noticed that the human brain is drawn (laughs) to negative memories um, negativity darkness and Jesus is saying, no. Focus in on the everyday goodness of God that we can so easily miss when we become distracted by the pursuits of this world. He, he goes on, he says, verse... Um, For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But here's the invitation. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Right. So, um, what Jesus is is offering here, and by the way, uh, Troy will probably give the next sermon. Um, You're going to move on to chapter 7 next Sunday, and just notice in your Bible that the topic there is don't judge, right? Or not not judging others. So um, what Jesus is inviting us into, and and here I'm going to share the skill. In Judaism at this time, prayer was not merely saying things to God. Uh, in, In today's culture, when I ask people, you know, what is prayer? Oftentimes, I'll hear something like, well, it's talking to God, or if they're very close with God, they may say it's talking with God. But what's interesting is the Bible never defines prayer. It's presupposed. And in Judaism, at the time of Jesus, prayer actually had two essential parts to it. Now, one part is the speaking part right and jesus gives us words in the lord's prayer for that our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name and so on but he also said let your words be few don't let your prayer life be dominated by language and jesus would spend the entire night some sometimes praying And if you think logically about it, that can't mean then that he just kept repeating the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. But rather, in Jesus' prayer life, there were pockets of noise, but much longer periods of listening silence. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you into the silence. There was more silence in Jesus' life and talking. We live in a chatterbox culture. <laughs> but Jesus would spend long silences. The other part of prayer in Judaism was a practice called kavana. And kavana could be translated mindfulness or attention focus now i want to take just a moment here and talk about this because the the language of mindfulness has been co-opted in scottsdale culture (laughs) right it's been co-opted by new age teachers and it's been co-opted by buddhist teachers and i just want to remind you that jesus is giving this teaching long before any buddhist text was written And so it's important that Christian disciples don't get confused just because the world co-ops language. The world has always co-opted language. And to not be afraid of what Jesus is inviting us into. Now, mindfulness is being fully present to the moment in a non-judgmental way. That's what mindfulness is. Now, all you have to do is think about any encounter with Jesus to see this at play. You know, right? If you were to meet Jesus in his life, you know, if you were the hemorrhaging woman or if you were the leper or if you were the curious Pharisee, right? You know that if you were to walk up to Jesus, he would look you in the eye and give you all his attention, wouldn't he? Could you imagine Jesus doing this with you? Like looking past your head to see if someone more important was in the room? Really? Jesus would be completely focused on you. And while his eyes were penetrating, (laughs) because they're truth, the encounter that people had in his presence was grace. What they did not experience was condemnation. Are you with me? Jesus practiced mindfulness. Mindfulness is becoming aware of distraction. It's becoming aware that you're living in the past, which you can't change. Holding on to guilt and shame, it's realizing that you're projecting into a future that you can't control, right? The reason why people suffer from anxiety is because when the world shifted culturally, we have yet to make peace with an uncertain future. Right? There was a time where you could live with uncertainty, and then things happen, you lose your spouse, you get cancer. These things mess up our world, and all of a sudden, uncertainty becomes this great enemy. <laughs> and God seems distant. Jesus is inviting us into a deeper trust in a loving Father who cares for the birds, who cares for the grass, who, frankly, doesn't live in the past. He doesn't live in the future. Where is God? God is in the eternal present. God's not contained by time. And the thing is, is is you were built with these sets of constraints that you don't do well when you try to live in the past or the future. You break down. You weren't designed to be in the past. You weren't designed to be in the future. You were designed to be fully present to God and one another. And so that's the invitation, right? And the way to practice mindfulness is before you pray, pause. Notice if you're distracted, right? If the President of the United States were to walk into Troy's home, we would give the president our attention, even if you're like a Republican or a Democrat, doesn't matter, right? When people of great importance walk into your space, they demand attention, right? So so when we pray, before we open our mouth, we notice if we're distracted or not, right? We notice, all right, am I giving God all my attention before now I start to engage in Him? Have I taken on a posture of listening? Before you read the Bible, am I ready to hear the words of God in the text? Or am I just going to read this thing? And here's the thing is, you know, it starts to take over life, right? I'm at a camp and and I have a child of God here in front of me. And um, there's so many things that I could be distracted about in this moment. Um, Even some of the, from our viewpoint, an odd behavior or whatever, right? Or am I going to be fully present to this person? You know, and, and as we enter more deeply into the present with Jesus, we begin to experience the fruit of the Spirit which is peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Real Life Arizona is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. For more information about Real Life, please visit our website at reallifearizona.com or email us at info at May God richly bless you.